What you don't want to do is get into the habit of just surrounding yourself with fans because if you live by people's compliments, you will die by their criticisms. If you constantly just rely on your motivation and your well-being comes from other people telling you that you're good, when they tell you that you're not good, which will happen, you're going to then crumble. So always remember that if you start thinking about your fans too much and you surround yourself with that and you depend on that to pick you up, even though it's positive, you're still prioritizing somebody else's opinion of you above your own opinion of you. Many of us can resonate with the fear of how others may judge us, doubting our own abilities, and feeling like a fraud. But the biggest prison we can live in is the fear of what other people think, which is why we wanted to discuss the topic of overcoming fear of judgment and imposter syndrome. Our guest today is Amy Bateman, a globally recognized entrepreneur, speaker, and careers champion whose mission is to help people feel seen, heard, and valued. Having worked in the career development space for nearly 20 years, Amy is also the award-winning founder and CEO of Career Cake, the number one careers platform in the UK that empowers job seekers to take on and beat the challenges they face in their careers. Amy's LinkedIn learning courses have been completed by over 2.5 million professionals globally, and she has also written career articles for national publications and fronted a number of media programs such as The Careers Expert on BBC and Sky News. Amy's story is one that is both inspirational and empowering, so we know that you're in for a good one. Hi. This is Janice. And I'm Sarah N. And we're your hosts for Explore This, a podcast for the modern-day working professional. Each week, we explore actionable insights on how you can thrive personally and professionally. Hi, Amy. We're so grateful for the chance to catch up with you today, all the way from Cardiff, which is the place where Sarah and I cross paths. And when I first heard you deliver a careers workshop on CV, and I might add, you know, the most exciting CV-related workshop I've ever, you know, <laughs> tuned into, and this was for the Cardiff Award Program. Welcome to the show, Amy. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I was delighted to get your email. So yeah, excited to be here. So for those of our audience who have not come across your work before, Amy, could you provide just a brief introduction of yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So I spent uh, about 20 years as a recruiter, so within talent attraction and talent retention. And then back in 2010, 2011, when the credit crunch hit, I decided to launch a YouTube channel. So I was a commercial recruiter and we had lots and lots of people coming into our offices looking for work and we didn't have any jobs for them because, you know, there was a massive recession on. And, and I got really sad, you know, sending these people away, not being able to help them. So I just bought a camera on eBay for about $9.99, just a secondhand camera, and started making YouTube videos in my kitchen, just helping people with CVs, interviews, how to navigate redundancy, how to, you know, tackle the job market, how to effectively not need people like me, not to need recruitment consultants, how they could do it themselves, and just put those up on the internet. And bearing in mind, this is 2011 when people weren't really using YouTube for the educational platform that they do now but it blew up yeah I got to about I think about 10 million hits in the first year and it got really popular so I quit my job and then I built careercake.com which hasn't got nothing to do with cakes that was just the name of my YouTube channel I just like cake and I didn't know what else to call it so career cake and then raised investment over the last sort of seven years to build it to what it is now so it's now effectively an online e-learning platform that we tackle lots of different topics with lots of different experts coming in to present content, but mainly helping people tackle 
the stuff that nobody else talks about in work, you know, the stuff that if you want to tell your colleagues that you're gay, how do you do that? If you're being bullied, how do you cope with it? If you're a new manager, how do you cope with it? You know, lots and lots of topics that are so much bigger than just CV and interviewing, you know, the stuff that you really have at work that keeps you awake at night. Um, yeah, so we have subscribers now in 42 countries. We've raised um, venture capital investment of about three quarters of a million pounds across a number of different continents to build it to what it is now. So that's effectively what I am now. I run careercake.com. Well, we have to say congratulations because that's how we also started to learn more about your work. And this is Janice and I back in our yesteryears when we were studying law in Cardiff back in 2013, 2014. But Career Cake even then was a multi-award winning career platform and now ranked number one career platform in the UK. So it all started yeah. with a little idea that you had, which sparked <laughs> into an action. What has been some of the lessons you've learned as you commenced this journey building Career Cake at a time where YouTube was at its absolute nascent stage? I think there were there are lots of lessons I've learned, actually. I, I could write a book about it. In fact, I probably will. There's lots of commercial business lessons that you learn. But I suppose more sort of holistically, the thing that sort of jumps out the most would be one, that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So I think that, you know, certainly the world didn't need another careers coach in 2011. But what I was doing differently was that rather than just talk about helping people, I was talking about why I was motivated to help people. And I think that that's always been the success with Career Cake and when we're making any content for people. Don't underestimate your audience. Just because somebody needs your help or you might know more about something than somebody else does doesn't mean that you're better than them and I think there was a lot of content out there on the internet especially within the job hunting and career space that talked to people like they were stupid and they're really not stupid so we always took the approach to make people feel empowered and not to be condescending and not to talk down to people and to share why we were doing it, not what we were doing, but why we were doing it. And that was really successful. Simon Sinek talks a lot about that in his in his TED talk. People don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. So that was a really big game-changing lesson for us. And I suppose the second thing what would be the biggest thing I think I've had to learn is that that you're good enough. And even if you're not good enough, do it anyway, because the only way you get good enough is by trying. I've literally just got off a mentoring call with a startup CEO that's doing phenomenal things in his business. But he just said to me, I feel really overwhelmed and I feel like I'm playing out of my station. And I said, that's how you get made. That's the point. You're meant to feel overwhelmed. You're meant to feel terrified. You're meant to be scared. There's no other way that you can be made like that's the gig that's the process so I would say they were the two main things I've learned and I have to say Amy I think that is the differentiating factor between you and a lot of the different career advice co coaching services out there because you know what really stood out to me when I heard you speak as well was that you really get into the heart and soul of things and in terms of making people feel seen heard and valued and that was something that came across really strongly to me as well. And we want to actually kind of deep dive more on the why and to get to know you and your origin story. You did come up and give this really incredibly vulnerable TED Talk titled Judgment, Don't Let It Frighten You. And this was a video that I actually watched like again and again because it just spoke so deeply to me. And in that video, you spoke about your experience growing up as a child, as a teenager in the foster care system. And you spoke about it 
openly for the first time on (laughs) TEDx, you know, the TEDx stage. So could you share with our audience, what was it like growing up in the care system and how has that experience shaped your mindset today? Yeah, thank you. Firstly, thank you, Janice. I love that you enjoyed that. Thank you for saying those lovely things. It was 1996, so stereotypes were a little bit different back then. There was a lot of judgment. You know, judgment was a was a, a real part of my day to day growing up in the care system, especially in a small village in Pembrokeshire. I moved a couple of different, had three different homes, and they were always in you know different parts of the village and all that kind of stuff. But but ultimately. A lot of judgment, mostly from people's parents rather than people my own age. I wasn't allowed to hang out with certain people. (laughs) I wasn't allowed to call for people. I used to have to meet them at the bus stop or people weren't allowed to play with me because, you know, if I was the care kid, I must be trouble. I was banned from my local shop, even though I'd never stolen anything, but just because they didn't want me in there because I might be trouble. And then one of my friend's mums went in and had a go at them and sorted it all out for me. So it was challenging, definitely. I always felt safe. I do think that that's important. Didn't always feel loved and appreciated and valued, but I certainly always felt safe. But I think what that experience did for me, I wouldn't change it. I just wouldn't change it because it taught me how to feel really grateful. And what I mean by that is there was when you grow up in that environment, you're often around other children, other young people that are also in that environment. And those people have gone through a lot worse in their past than I have. So I would regularly go to bed thanking the universe that I'm me, feeling very grateful that I that I was me, because there's always somebody going through worse, always. And I'm not saying that as terms of sort of toxic positivity. You're allowed to feel sorry for yourself and you're allowed to feel like this isn't fair. But but on the whole, I always felt really grateful because I was exposed to people that had gone through a lot worse. So that that kind of made me feel really grateful from a really young age. Factually, research tells us that the best way for us to feel positive out of a negative situation is, is gratitude. It's the, it's the thing that instantly takes our mind to a positive. So I learned that skill really early on. The second thing I would say is that I'm resilient as hell. Like you won't find any, you'd be struggled to find anyone more resilient than me. And I feel like... When you are born into a system like that, or you are surrounded by challenges at an early age, it's almost like your superpower. Like, I feel like it's a superpower. There's not much in this world, in fact, anything that I couldn't handle. So I, I'm very, very grateful for, for that experience. The, the stuff that I've had to go through personally to build career kit, you don't build a business from your kitchen to, to 42 countries without experiencing some dark days, right? But because of the resilience that I had, I'm able to cope. Well, things would probably bother other people. It doesn't bother me as much. So I always feel like it's a superpower and I'm really grateful for that experience and I wouldn't change it. I love that you own this superpower, Amy, because a lot of people, if they don't, I think, have the emotional maturity and resiliency to kind of look back and say, these were the experiences that built my character and shaped me to who I am today. I do feel that things could be very, very different for them. Yeah. And we all have a story, right? Like everyone, everyone, you don't have to have grown up in foster homes to, to have experienced dark days. Like we all have a story. And I think that taking power from those stories and certainly like you said owning it I think that's a lovely way that you phrase that thank you for that owning it because we live the life that we make not the life that we're given 
you know, I could spend my whole life thinking about, oh, you know, whoa me, look what happened. But nobody's coming to rescue me. You just got to crack on. So, so no, I, I wouldn't change. I wouldn't change it for for a thing. And when I did that TED talk, that was a really big moment for me because that's not my story to tell. I mean, it is my story to tell, but it's not just my story, right? Like my mum my mum was going to be affected by that I knew that there were lots of people in her life that didn't know that I we'd had that experience as a family they didn't know that so I had to speak to her first and just say I'm going to do this talk on judgment I can't be authentic without talking about what happened how do you feel and she have a beautiful relationship with my mother now what she's she's my best friend and she was just like do it that's fine you know share that story and there was a little bit of kickback, you know, because people share it on Facebook, don't they? People that didn't know. But ultimately, it was a really positive experience. And uh, and I'm yeah, I'm really glad that I did it. And in that particular TED Talk, one of the things you mentioned and shared about which really stood out to us is often the biggest prison that people live in is the fear of what other people think. And if we don't process that in the right way, it can, in fact, have a crippling impact on us. So share with us a little bit more as we dive deeper into what does that crippling impact actually look like? So that was the title of my TED talk and it was how I started it. I do lots and lots of mentoring. It doesn't matter who I'm dealing with. I could be dealing with, you know, a 16 year old young adult. I could be speaking to somebody in their mid 50s on a huge salary at the top of their game. And it's always the same thing. It's always, you know, what will people think if I do that? What will people think? The difference between being frightened of people judging you and imposter syndrome are two different, completely different things. And I'm sure we'll talk about imposter syndrome later. But the fear of being judged is really, really common. It's in our core DNA, actually, as human beings. You know, we're meant to be part of the tribe, right? We're meant to be part of a social community and keep the peace. And because that was historically our survival mode, right? So that's in our DNA. In our, We're programmed to not make too much noise and stand above the crowd. And to be frightened of what might happen if we do. But if if we don't take a risk, if we don't sometimes, I don't know, go for that promotion, join that gym, start that podcast, speak up in that meeting, whatever it is, if we don't sometimes do what we need to do for fear of what other people will think, then we don't truly live authentic lives. And it can hold us back in so, so many ways, so many ways in our personal life and in our career. And it was the biggest lesson I've had to learn in my life. And I believe it's the biggest lesson anybody would have to learn. You know, when you see these people going out, trying to get a job, they're worried about their CVs and, you know, their LinkedIn profile or starting a business. What does my website look like? What does my logo look like? When the first thing you should be doing is doing the work on you, on your mindset, what goes on in your head, because that's where the real success is going to be determined. And or failure that's where it's going to really be decided is what your mindset is like I think you've just captured it so perfectly because you talk about how that's the biggest thing you have learned and that's not just the biggest thing that you have to learn because of your background of your circumstance but it's what all of us have to learn to basically learn how to in that sense to put it bluntly care less about what people think of us yeah And I think re-channel that energy somewhere else. So can you share with us, what are some techniques that we can practice to make that change? Because it's a lot of mental re-channeling and refocusing Mm -hmm. of our energy, of our mental capacity and our space, and actually break out of that mental prison. 
Yeah. Yeah. Great question. I mean, initially it does take energy, but after you've been doing it a while, it happens automatically. I promise you it's very, very easy when you've been doing it a while. But firstly, I just want to say that you don't want to get into the habit of thinking, I don't care what anyone thinks because that's really unhealthy. Like you should care what people think. Certain people. And that's the differentiator really is that some people's opinions should matter and some people's opinions really shouldn't. So there are a few things. The first thing that I always say is to make sure that what you're doing, whatever this thing is that's making you feel worried, this one thing, whatever it is, make sure you really want to do it. Make sure that it's aligned with who you are and your values. Make sure it really excites you because it's got to be your truth. You've got to be speaking your truth, not you're doing something because your parents think you should do it. You're doing something because your boss wants you to do it. You're doing something because you think socially that's what everybody does. Everybody goes to university or everybody does this thing or, you know, whatever it is, it's got to be true to you because when you're doing something that you really, really want to do, like deep in your soul, you have to do this thing. The motivation to do it is so much greater than the fear of being judged. So you're already on a winning streak, right? So that's definitely the first thing. The second thing is to switch your mindset. So there's something called an RAS in psychology. It's your reticular activating system. And effectively, it's a real thing, right? It's basically your brain shuts down everything that you're not looking for and only focuses on the things that you're looking for. So if you do something and you are worried about criticism, All you're going to find are the critics, are the haters, because that's all you're focusing on. Whereas if you're focusing, you're doing this thing and you're focusing on all of the all of the great feedback you're going to have and how fabulous you're going to feel afterwards and all of the lovely friends you're now going to have or contacts you're going to have or people that are going to get so much value from it. That, guess what? That's what you're going to find, right? So your brain literally has this system that you really need to take advantage of. It's why, um, I always think it's why when you see on X Factor, you see those people that can't sing, they're terrible singers, but they stand there and they they only hear like the one person that cheers, but they don't hear any of the people that are booing. That's your reticular activating system. So I tend to get people when they're about to do something that frightens them, write down, write down, how will you benefit from this? How will this benefit you emotionally? How will you doing this thing benefit you spiritually? How will it benefit you financially? How will other people benefit from it? What might be the really lovely things that people are going to say when you do this thing? Will you inspire people? Will people tell you that they're proud of you? And write it down so that you're almost forced to focus on the positive. And that really helps. And then I definitely think the next thing is to just be really really selective on who you listen to so when you do get that feedback and you could do this before you do it if you want to write down whose opinion really matters and who doesn't and be really selective but when you do get that feedback think about where that's coming from is that coming from somebody that's done what you've done so if somebody gave you negative feedback on your podcast is it coming from somebody that really wants to launch a podcast but hasn't got the guts to do it well that says it says more about them than about you, right? Or is it coming from somebody that has played in your space? So I I only tend to take feedback from people, one, if they are my target audience, and two, if they've played in my space. If you haven't done what I'm doing, I'm not interested in your feedback. You can give it, but I'm not going to listen to it. So be very selective of who you respect and who you reject. And then just remember that your opinion is the only one that really counts. 
what you don't want to do is surround yourself with people that love you too much. You know, the people that that tell you that you're fabulous all the time. And that's okay. You can do that. If you're having a bad day, you can call, you know, if you might call Janice and she might say, yeah, no, it's fine. Ignore them, you know, and then you feel good again, right? But what you don't want to do is get into the habit of just surrounding yourself with fans. Because if you live by people's compliments, you will die by their criticisms. If you constantly just rely on your motivation and your well-being comes from other people telling you that you're good, when they tell you that you're not good, which will happen, you're going to then crumble. So always remember that if you start thinking about your fans too much and you surround yourself with that and you depend on that to pick you up, even though it's positive, you're still prioritizing somebody else's opinion of you above your own opinion of you. So that's where the real power lies and and, and try not to forget that. I really, really like what you said about having that filtration system, right? Do not just allow every single voice to enter you and you still have to discern it, whether it's someone that has a constructive criticism to give where I can benefit and learn from rather than to just take in everything and take what everyone says on face value. So I think that's definitely a very valuable Mm. advice, Amy, because especially in the era of social media now where like comments are immediate, it is vicious sometimes and people can hide behind fake names or just labels. So I don't know, I'm just curious to know as someone who is, you know, like you're a public personality now, you appear on TV and you're on YouTube. Do you ever let the voice of criticisms or like trolls, has it ever gotten to you Mm. before? And how do you you deal (laughs) with these? (laughs) Yeah, so what a question. I think, and I think what a lovely question for your listeners as well. Because I think Janice, you, know, you don't have to be on telly now, do you, to get this kind of, yeah, everybody's on social media. So this is so relevant to so many. But there was one time really early on, I mean, eventually I got about 27 million hits on YouTube. I have lots and lots of people telling me that, you know, I changed their life and all of this beautiful, beautiful stuff. And then I would have somebody say they want to punch me in the face till I bleed. Or somebody say that they don't like my Welsh accent or I blink too much or Remember, shut your mouth, you stupid woman, and get back behind the reception desk. Nobody cares what you think. You know, you get all of that. And that kind of stuff is really, really easy for me to ignore because I'm like, you're clearly a loser. Like, you're clearly a loser. Anybody that is giving that kind of feedback on the internet is just jog on. Like, I'm not interested. Easy, easy. I I laugh at it. I think it's funny. But it's the criticisms that are from people that you think you want to impress or the thing or the feedback that is sometimes quite thought through, you know, not the obvious stuff, the stuff that is maybe a bit of a compliment, but then also, but you could have done this better, you know, that kind of stuff. And there was one comment that I got, I did a program for, I think it was for BBC three. I did something and it was put on YouTube and somebody had made a comment. And I remember waking up one morning and I read it. It was from a guy. They're typically from men funny enough, when I get comments that really bother, that are really mean, women don't tend to be that mean to me, but men do. And I read it and, and I started replying. I just got, I hadn't even had a cup of tea. You know, I was still in my pajamas. It was on a Saturday morning. I was just typing and then I deleted it and then I responded and then I deleted it before I posted it. And then I rewrote it and I was like, and I was so fired up by what this guy had said. And I was trying to justify myself, you know, and I was getting all stressed about it. And then I looked up and it was dark outside. And I realized that I've been sat on the floor of my living room in my pajamas for quite some time. And I mean, all day. I hadn't even gone to the toilet. 
I hadn't got a drink and I had wasted an entire day trying to respond to this person who I didn't even end up responding to, who I don't even know. And that was the day that I'd said that that would never happen again. I would never, because I would never get that day back. What a complete waste of a day. We're only here for a short amount of time. We've only got a limited amount of days on this earth. And that was the moment where I decided to do the work. And that's when I started working with companies like The Bravest Path, who were trained by Brené Brown. I started really doing the work to overcome judgment. It was before my TED talk, actually. It was very, very early on. I think it was Gandhi that said, don't walk through my mind with your dirty shoes. And what I love about that is that you would never let somebody come into your house with dirty shoes. You don't have your door to your house open permanently saying, come on in, everyone. Anyone that walks past with their muddy shoes can just walk through your house, complete strangers. You don't. You close your door and you have an alarm and you protect your door. So why wouldn't you do that for your mind? You don't get to walk through my mind with your dirty shoes. Thank you very much. So that was a big lesson learned for me. Love that analogy. We want to switch gears a little bit, right? We've talked about how sometimes the voice of other people can be so detrimental to us and how we can be sometimes really affected by all of these judgments that come from these external parties. But I think now we want to speak to you about imposter syndrome. And this is something that you are quite vocal about. You've given some talks about this. So, you know, when we talk about imposter syndrome, and this is something we explored on our Instagram page as well. We had this little poll where we asked our audience, if they have experienced imposter syndrome before I chat with you today. And 100% of them said yes. So Mm. this is such a pertinent issue for us to discuss today with you. And we're going to get you to actually describe imposter syndrome before we talk about the practical steps. What is imposter syndrome? Could you just sort of articulate that to our audience? Well, certainly, I'm not surprised that 100% of people said that, by the way. I think it's something that a lot of us experience. So we did a huge amount of research over the years. In fact, it was always like one of the biggest topics that we tackled at Career Cake. And it's something that I'm extremely passionate about exploring and helping people with. And I think the first thing is to understand that a lot of people mix up imposter syndrome and self-doubt. If you're doing something for the first time or the second time or the third time, like if you're doing something new, like pitching to investors or doing a presentation that you've never done before or making your first YouTube video that you've never done before, like if you're feeling like you're not good enough or you're not sure if you can do that, that's totally normal. And that's not imposter syndrome, that's self-doubt. You haven't done it before, so of course you're going to be nervous because you've never done it before. Like, like, duh, like, of course, like if you're going to do big things in the world that you've never done before, of course, you're going to be nervous. That's totally normal. Imposter syndrome is when you've been doing that thing for a long time. You are brilliant at it. You are killing it. You're probably the top of your game. You are very, very good at it. And you still you still, despite being good at it and despite, you know, being really experienced, you still feel like a fraud. You still feel like, who am I to do this? I can't charge people for this. I've got no idea what I'm doing, even though you've been doing it and you know exactly what you're doing. That's imposter syndrome. And and we know that it's only experienced by high achievers, which I think is really interesting. I'm not saying that if you're a high achiever, you have to experience that because I've got a very good friend of mine. She's a hugely high achiever. I mean, she's amazing. And she doesn't get imposter syndrome. She doesn't get it. So you don't have to be a high achiever to experience it. But if you experience it, you have to be a high achiever. So I love that because when people come to me and say I have imposter syndrome, I always feel like, well done. Well done. Welcome to the power club. Because if you're feeling it, you should already feel kick-ass because if 
you clearly are awesome. Otherwise, you wouldn't be experiencing it. So pat yourself on the back. <laughs> it's something that actually 70% of of people do experience. So it does sound like it's such a common thing. I've only heard it, you know, being spoken about very, very frequently, especially in, in these recent times. Are there particular things that has exacerbated it? Or do you think that it's something that's always been there, but it's just never really been like debated upon or even sort of highlighted on, you know, yeah, these platforms? Great question. Recently? I think you're right. I think like you, I've noticed it a lot more. It's. I think it's just that we now have permission to talk about it. That's what it is. It's not new. I feel like it, now that there's so much attention on corporate security, mental health issues, you know, all of this stuff, like people should be allowed to talk about stuff in work. I think that's why it's it's come more to the sort of the forefront within a professional capacity. And it can hold us back in two ways. I think the first thing to do is understand why you're feeling it. Like there are legitimate, legitimate reasons why you feel this. And I think when it's overcoming anything that's challenging, if we know why we're feeling it, it's always a lot easier to overcome. So we know now that imposter syndrome is directly related to levels of serotonin in your body. Women produce considerably less serotonin than men. Serotonin being the happy hormone that our brain releases. So that's not to say that men don't experience imposter syndrome, but science tells us that women might experience it more because of the levels of serotonin are, are less in their body. We also know that 50% of our personality we're born with. So genetically, if you are a pessimist or if you're a perfectionist or if you have these personality traits, then you are more prone to experiencing imposter syndrome. That's not to say that if you experience imposter syndrome, you have to have those things because I'm not a perfectionist and I'm not a pessimist, but I still experience it. But if you do have those personality traits, which might not be your fault, like you could be born with those, then you are more likely to experience it. And then thirdly, you have to look about your emotional and social development. So your imposter syndrome, I mean, everything that you experience as an adult has come from somewhere as a child, right? Like we'd be fools to think that what we experienced when we were growing up, we don't, that doesn't impact us as an adult. So have a look to think, you know, did you not get a lot of praise when you were growing up or did you get a lot of praise, but only, only when you did something right, you had to be number one and then you'd get rewarded. But if you were number two, you wouldn't get so much attention. So all of these things could also be the reason why you experience imposter syndrome. So just, just ask yourself what's true for you. And I think that that will help you deal with it because it can never go away. You can never get rid of it, sadly, but you can learn lots of fabulous ways to overcome it and to deal with it. Mm. So on that note, what are some, you know, fabulous ways and practical steps that you can advise our audience to, you know, put in place when these niggly voices of this, I'm a fraud syndrome, you know, this imposter syndrome voices, when it creeps into our heads, what can we do? The first thing to do is to make it your friend. So expect it. So what I mean by that is that if you know that this is something that you experience, next time you experience it, welcome it, like give it a name. The thing that I struggled with, with imposter syndrome was that I was always told that it was something negative. It was a voice to be ignored. It was this negative gremlin on my shoulder, stopping me from doing things. When actually it's the complete opposite. Your imposter syndrome is your best friend and it loves you and you should welcome it. And what I mean by that is nothing positive can come from a negative. So if you're experiencing imposter syndrome feelings, which are horrible. I mean, it's just a horrible, horrible thing to go through in your mind. You're not good enough. You're a fraud. They're all going to laugh at you. Who do you think you are? If you start thinking, shut up, go away. You know, I am okay. 
nothing good can come from that. Whereas if you appreciate the imposter syndrome is there to try and keep you safe, like you are wired to keep yourself mentally and physically safe. Like you are it. Like I'm all I've got, right? So I'm wired just as you are to stay safe in safe situations. So I... I name it Mary, who was my late grandmother, who loved me more than anybody's ever. She was just such a fan of me, but she always wanted to keep me safe, right? She was like, oh, don't run, you might fall over. Or, you know, don't don't climb on that wall, you might hurt your knee. And that's all your imposter syndrome is doing. It's just trying to keep you safe. So it loves you. So embrace it. When it shows up, almost welcome it. Be like, you know, I'm about to do something really scary. I'm about to do something, you know, of course, feelings of imposter syndrome are coming up. Hello, where have you been? Come and hang out. You know, that kind of thing. So always think of a person who loves you and wants to keep you safe and associate those feelings with that person. And then you can just say, I'm okay. Thank you for trying to keep me safe, but I'm fine. I've got this. I started working on that positive. Then a positive can come from a positive. You can't get a positive from a negative. So that's learning to love imposter syndrome and accepting it and welcoming it. It was great. The second thing that I that I've done, which I always work with other people is to help them create something called a brag file. So remember imposter syndrome isn't when you're doing things that are brand new that you've never done before. Imposter syndrome is when you're doing something you've done lots of times and you're great at. So just like you guys with your podcast, I'm sure you get lots of people that listen to your podcast. I've certainly listened to your podcast previous episodes and thought it was fantastic. You know, when those people email you and say, that was a great episode. Well done. Like, thank you for that screenshot it and save it like add it to your brag file so what you've got then is that you've got a collection of previous experiences factual experiences that have happened that are positive and you can just go to your brag file in those moments of 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 imposter syndrome and just remind yourself how awesome you are and how you've done this before you're gonna be fine so I always think create a brag file is a, is a really, really helpful thing, helpful thing to do. And then the third thing, which I think is really important, is to surround yourself with lighters. So surround yourself with the right people. And these are the people that will remind you in these moments of imposter syndrome that remind you of your value. I'm sure you two have great supports to each other. And, you know, I've got some friends that are on the same journey as me and that kind of stuff. But I mean, be strategic with it. So if you know that you're over the next 12 months, you're really going to be pushing hard on something, get a couple of friends, maybe one or two people and set up some kind of like imposter syndrome club or some kind of like WhatsApp group and just be like, I suffer from imposter syndrome. So do I. So do I. Okay, well, let's make a promise that over the next 12 months this year, every time one of us feels it, we're going to jump on the WhatsApp, we're going to jump on a call, and we're going to talk about it to each other, and we're going to help each other through it. And that's so much more strategic than just surrounding yourself with good people, which is important, obviously. And then you jump to action when one of your one of those people in your group come to you so I think that that's that's always just you know a a nice reminder. Amy you've given so many practical steps about what we can do whenever these fraud syndrome thoughts that are always lurking at the back of our head comes in but I wanted to ask you maybe a more I would say a personal intimate question can you share with us when was the last time that you actually suffered from this imposter syndrome? like a real experience that that hit you, hit Mm. you real hard. 
and when you le- least expected it as well? Yeah, so that's a, such a great question, actually. It was during 2020 and I was asked by the Celtic Manor in Newport to deliver a talk on, I think it was imposter syndrome, actually. And it was just a webinar. It was just me sat in this room delivering a webinar to a group of lovely people which I've probably delivered, I probably delivered the imposter syndrome webinar, gosh, maybe about, maybe just over 200 times. Like I know what I'm doing, but I think it was because in lockdown, I hadn't been seeing people and I'd been alone quite a lot. Like like we all had, I think I wasn't getting that validation on a daily basis because I wasn't going out to work. I wasn't seeing people. And I think I, I, I definitely think that that's what made me really nervous because I remember visualizing myself going downstairs afterwards, having done a brilliant presentation, having a gin and tonic with my husband and having a cuddle with my dogs and my husband going, how was it? And me going, it was brilliant. I loved it. And I remember visualizing that before. So I must've been nervous for me to physically visualize that before I went live. So on that note, visualizing your successes is definitely also a very practical way to address your imposter syndrome. Yeah. And that's going back to what I said at the beginning of our conversation, when I ask people to write down, how will this benefit me? How will this benefit other people? How will I benefit emotionally, spiritually? Because I think writing that forces you to visualize, right? Like, because you have to, you have to write these things down. And I always think that that's, that's my RAS, wasn't it? That was my reticular activating system, only looking for the positive. And it went brilliantly. And of course it was fine. Of course it was fine. But we all have those moments. Definitely. And so we'll also like to discuss with you on the hidden upside of imposter syndrome, Amy. You spoke so much about what imposter syndrome is, how we deal with it, what are some practical steps that we can take to navigate it. But on the topic of the hidden upsides of imposter syndrome. And so according to Basim Matufik, who is an assistant professor of work and organizational studies at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, one of the things she shared is how she found that behaviors that imposters exhibit in an attempt to compensate for their self-doubt can actually make them really good at their jobs. So what are your thoughts on these findings? And are there some ways that we can actually harness the imposter syndrome to propel us forward, especially in the workplace? Share yeah, with us I, I, I had also, that's also a topic of conversation that I'd also heard of. You see it all the time. It's such a blatant, it's so blatant because the people that have experienced imposter syndrome, they tend to, you know, they don't tend to rush things. You know, they might... One of the bad things is that you tend to be a bit of a perfectionist. So you might try to do things over and over again to get it right. But but when somebody's got self-doubt or they're so worried about imposter syndrome, what does that mean? Well, that means that they really care because if they didn't care, they wouldn't be feeling it. And and really caring about doing something within within your work, that's only a good thing because what that means is that you show up. You show up early, you show up better, you show up brighter, you show up smarter. You're motivated to improve your self on a regular basis so that self-development that self-improvement is something that you know is hand goes hand in hand with experiencing imposter syndrome so so yes in one way it's not great that you're experiencing it just like you know there's lots of things in my life that weren't great and I'm you know people would say how awful that you experienced that but those things made me faster stronger better quicker like it's it's incredible it's like Usain Bolt racing against your nana 
when you are that much faster, when you have honed your skills that much better, you're going to win and you're going to beat other people. And that's what imposter drives you to do, get better. So that's the positive. It's very easy to go straight to the negative about imposter syndrome. Like I said, give it a name of somebody that you love. You don't want to change it because it's what drives you. Imposter syndrome is a superpower, another superpower, embrace it. Exactly. And I think knowing how to use that for good, like because with superpowers, you can use it for good or for bad, right? So knowing what it is, making it your friend and leveraging it to be the fuel that pushes you forward, that's something that then something that really holds you back is something that I think we can all learn to be better at. And one final question that we have on imposter syndrome and, you know, overcoming fear. Earlier, you said a lot about how it's actually good to have an imposter syndrome support system or like a club where you gather and and have a chat whenever you're feeling these imposter syndrome thoughts that crop up in your mind. But what about having mentorship and coaching when Mm. it comes to overcoming fear and imposter syndrome? Yeah. How instrumental has that been for in in your own life? Huge. I just want to just go back to what I said earlier about having that sort of imposter syndrome network. That's that, you know, that's a great strategy. That's not the solution. Always remember that you don't want to rely on other people's opinions of you too much. That's a nice strategy, like I said, but it's not the not the solution because your opinion of you counts more. But it's a nice way to help you get there. Mentorship and coaching has been a huge, huge part. I mean, for me, coaching and mentorships are very, very different. And coaching has helped me in at times when mentorship wouldn't. So, for example, as a startup founder, I knew I'd have to do a lot of public speaking. I'd have to get really, really good at numbers. I'd need to be really good at people development. You know, coaches would help me with that. There's a specific skill that you need to improve on over a set period of time. Then a coach is what you're looking for. A mentor somebody that's been there and done it has been huge for me. So I have two mentors. I have one here in the UK and then I have one in Australia. One's a man, one's a woman. I think one of the great things about mentors is remembering that they don't have to look like you. They can be younger, they can be older. You know, they mentors can come in all different shapes and sizes. You don't, you're not necessarily looking for somebody exactly like you. What you are looking for is for somebody that's experienced some of the challenges that you are about to experience. And that could be, they don't necessarily even have had to win in the space that you want to, to play in. They could have failed. They could have died a death. You know, they, those, those people are still really valuable. They can be great mentors because they can tell you what not to do and all that kind of stuff. But they have at least got to have played in the space that you are looking to, to operate in. And they also have to be people that you trust. So I remember I remember having a mentor once and I learned the hard way that you should always break up with a mentor before your relationship starts. And what I mean by that is there may well come a time when you outgrow your mentor and that's okay. In fact, that's that's the way you should be doing it. That's, that's when you know you're doing it right. And when I mentor people, I always say to them, there's going to come a point where I'm probably going to need mentoring from you. So always try and put some kind of time frame on it. Because I remember the first mentor I got when I started Career Cake, I felt like I felt like I I outgrew him quite quickly, and then I didn't know how to stop the calls and the meetings. You know, I and I and I felt like I was then going into meetings pretending to be smaller than I was just to make him feel valued. So I would go in and almost sort of pretend to have problems that I I did have a problem, but I fixed it two weeks ago. You know, or I fixed it myself, but I would pretend to have problems so you don't want to get into a difficult relationship with a mentor so what the best thing to do is say I'm going through a really 
you know, high growth phase, I'm going through this. Will you be my mentor for six months or 12 months? And then guess what? If it's going well, you can continue that mentoring relationship. But the more your network grows and the more the more value you're giving to other people out there, then mentors will just show up. You won't even need to strategically look for them. They'll just show up in your day to day and they, they will just naturally happen. Wonderful, Amy. Thank you so much for that. And one of the things that we wanted to do as well, because March is the month where we're celebrating women. And so in conjunction with International Women's Day and with the theme of breaking the bias, we have three surprise rapid fire questions for you before we wrap up. (laughs) So the first question for you, Amy, is what is one bias about women that you would like to break? That we're not good with many. Very good. Would you like to elaborate more? So for every one pound, that is invested in startup businesses, less than one pence is invested in a female founded business. And I think there's a women, so I don't know elsewhere in the world, but in the UK, we couldn't get independent credit until the 70s. So you couldn't get a credit card unless your husband signed for it. Right? It's like my sisters were alive in the 70s. That wasn't that long ago. So I think sometimes we feel shameful asking for many and saying that we're motivated by many. And it almost feels like you can't have many and be a good person at the same time. And I think that the fact that, you know, women aren't good with many or can't handle many, I think is, is a stereotype that certainly needs to, needs to be gone. <laughs> All right. Who is the woman who inspires you the most and why? It's Oprah. Oprah. <laughs> Yeah, it is. And I, and, I, and people ask me that all the time. And I, and I try and think of, you know, I could think about something a little bit more, I don't know, relatable, I suppose, but I wouldn't be giving you an honest answer. So that is just, that is somebody who I watch endless amounts of videos on. If I'm having a d- bad day, I will literally just go to YouTube and just type in Oprah interview. And I will just ha- play it in the background while I'm doing something else if I have to. But people inspire me every day. I mean, I'd love to maybe start a podcast one day. You two inspire me. You know, there's <laughs> always there's always women around you that can inspire you. I think you know it can happen all day long, every day if we're if we're open to it. Absolutely. And Amy, you inspire us because of what you did. You ventured into the YouTube space when no one did many years ago. And that's one of the reasons why we are led to the conversation that we're having with you today. And for the final question, what is one message that you'd like to share with all the women around the world on this special occasion? Oh, one message that you deserve to be seen, heard and valued. And if you're ever in a situation where you feel that you're not, that you have the power to change that situation. So you're allowed to have bad days, but make sure that the bad days don't outweigh the good days. Like the good days should always outweigh the bad days and and that you should every single day feel like you are seen, heard and valued. And we're so grateful to have you on this podcast because you know you've definitely played a part in helping us and other career seekers, job seekers out there feel a little bit more seen, heard and valued with all the content that you put out. So thank you so much for that, Amy. And as we're wrapping up now, where can our audience find you? You could type in my name, Amy Bateman, and um, says so Amy A-I-M-E-E into YouTube. So I've just started a new YouTube channel, actually, a couple of months ago. So I'm starting from scratch all over again, which is scary but also really really exciting youtube i'm also on twitter so amy underscore bateman i don't use facebook but i'm also on instagram so like you guys i love instagram and that is absolutely my favorite platform so again amy underscore bateman 
Awesome. So you guys know where to look for Amy. We just want to say once again, thank you so much, Amy, for this inspiring and empowering conversation on overcoming our fears and imposter syndrome. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you for having me. You guys are incredible. Thank you. If you've stuck around to the end of this episode, we want to say thank you for exploring with us. And if you don't already, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review, and most importantly, share this episode with your friends. We'd love to hear from you. So you can also connect with us on Instagram using the Instagram handle Explore This Podcast. A-C-T-S-P-L-O-R-E This Podcast. New episodes for Explore This drops every Monday at 8pm. See you then!